Welcome to Watch Korean Cinema episode 43 and I've merely dubbed it in all simplicity short movie special and uh, we're doing something a little bit different uh, there for uh, this episode uh, because uh, Korean cinema creativity also goes on in the short movie community if you like whether the big profiles are experimenting with the format or your lesser known directors so in this episode we'll be looking at six different short movies using a variety of techniques going back as far as 2003's doggy poo up to and up to 2018's polaroid and uh, my name is kenny b and with me is the korean short movie guru that is hangol celluloid paul queen so say hello buddy good evening people yes uh, this is not out of your uh, range of knowledge because uh, you um you follow this stuff you're keeping tabs on what comes out short movie wise whether it's announced in front of you or you look for it yourself i really do i think i think there's a lot to be said for short films certainly as we'll talk about from my point of view korean short films because you know they've got a, a real place and i think they're really important and i'll always follow them so yeah totally it's a relief uh, when you can um watch full creativity for four minutes or 30 minutes for once in terms of korea isn't it because uh, you're so used to these two 210 220 230 hour movies that it must be nice to get a full like like like, like experience like a full-on emotional experience lasting 30 minutes yeah totally and and the fact that you know the the best of the bunch can do that just shows you know how, how succinct they can be rather than going with the studios and going for you know two and a half two and three quarters three hours plus mostly isn't necessary apart from the handmaiden which warranted every second but that's by the back uh well uh, the uh, director of the handmaiden and uh, his uh, his short movie work is contained within this episode but uh, we'll, we'll get to it one by one rather than uh, throw six titles uh out uh, out in, in the air right now so we'll get to it uh, but first of all this is what's korean cinema and within what's korean cinema well, you got short what's korean cinema so uh, that's uh, our contribution because the, there is short korean cinema as we established we are located our back catalog of uh, episodes of this show is located on podcast on fire.com along with our other shows on Hong Kong cinema, we talk of uh, sleazy movies out of Hong Kong and Taiwan, not you and I, but uh, other co-hosts, uh, not that you would be against talking about sleazy movies, because uh, you are not, not a prude in that regard, you just spoke about The Handmaiden, and that's a sleazy movie per definition, classy movie, but a sleazy movie. Totally, totally, no problems with it at all. <laughs> exactly, but uh, we, we have a, a bunch of shows, is the point, on Podcast on Fire Network, including What's Korean Cinema, and the flagship show Podcast on Fire, that focuses on Hong Kong cinema and if you want to catch us on email let us know if you've uh, whatever you watched uh, let us know what uh, what's the latest korean movie you watched uh, you can let us know on podcast on fire at googlemail.com the old-fashioned way but you can also hit us up on social media and share your viewing experiences and leave whatever feedback you might find uh, necessary or what have you we would love to hear from you whatever show you sample on the network uh, whether it's what's korean cinema or not and you can reach us on the various social media by clicking the facebook button at the top of our website if you want to hit us up on twitter you can do so by clicking the twitter button at the top of our website subscribe to us on itunes and uh, 
leave a star rating and even a written comment about uh, a network show or the network in general that would very much be appreciated that is there is a link at the top of our page and also the stitcher radio button leads us to our streaming archive over there on stitcher radio over on sogoodreviews.com i mainly review hong kong and Taiwanese genre movies with some dips into Korea, whether they're shot in Korea or even uh, made in Korea, but uh, then retooled in Hong Kong. And uh, an example of that is uh, all those um, Korean-made anime rip-off movies that then were picked off, uh, picked up by Hong Kong's uh, IFD Films and Arts and dubbed and then shot in, out into the world. And therefore, you got those uh, those are robot action movies with low-grade animation that. Uh, uh, that, was, that was then dubbed into English and that was often, if not all the time, in the case of the IFD's pickups, they originated from Korea. So, um, mm. Because Korea has at least one really famous uh, robot anime, it's called Taekwon something something, and they've remastered that as well. So it's way above, that, that is way above the examples I'm talking about. So, um, yeah, so uh, because I'm, I'm curious to see what top class korean robo anime mech action is like and uh, therefore there there should be a, a disc release out there of that uh, that particular famous one i think there is somewhere i can't remember where but i remember seeing something so it, it's available somewhere uh, so so goodreviews.com is my uh, writing hub my video hub is lazykvideo.com and i tweet over at at so good reviews hangul cellular is the place to be to look up reviews for feature movies but um, he is uh, also, as uh, we established, interested. He's got a keen eye towards the short movie scene. And therefore, there are reviews of uh, several short movies over on Hangul Celluloid. So, uh, give us a little sales pitch, uh, despite me having uh, done so, Paul. So, the floor is yours to plug away. Uh, if you don't know me, guys, my name's Paul. I run HangulCelluloid.com, which is a Korean film and interview website, whether it's feature films, documentaries, or short films. Um, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangelcelluloid, on Twitter at twitter.com at hangelcelluloid or whatever that Twitter hangle, that angle is. Um, if you go to the, the website itself, hangelcelluloid.com, there are buttons to both the Facebook and Twitter feeds on the homepage if you don't want to remember loads of, you know, ats and forward slashes. Check out the site. A lot of the films we're talking about tonight I've reviewed I've interviewed a couple of the directors, and we'll talk about that as we go along, whether they then went on to feature films or moved back to shorts, what have you. We'll talk about that as well. Excellent. Uh, well, we're going to get uh, into it and uh, talk of, uh, you know, I've spread out a question or two here and there, and uh, but the reviewing uh, is uh, going to go, uh, we're going to go through the six movies, review them, not going to go do as much back and forth because uh, there are lesser notes on these shorter movies. Uh, so essentially we're going to take turns, I think. Yeah. But regardless, uh, the question, really, because we, we talked of the Korean short movie scene, and um, I think it's wise to establish a little bit more firmly, does it have a solid place and foundation in terms of uh, bringing directors' attention to the studios? So, so therefore, is the short movie scene in Korea acting as a springboard for feature projects, or those directors find, or directors in general find feature projects anyway uh, through other aspects of the movie-making system? Short movies, in, certainly in Korea, are hugely used as springboards to bigger projects or 
feature project. But it's a weird thing because the number of directors you'll see that will do a couple of shorts and then get the chance to do a feature, two features, you know, studio release stuff. And then they're straight back into doing shorts. And there are different reasons for it with each, each director. But, you know, the short thing in Korea isn't just a springboard. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about some of the biggest names in in Korean cinema doing shorts halfway through their career. And there are different reasons for it. And it's certainly not to, you know, push their profile higher than it already is. So shorts are are vital in, in many, many instances, both in terms of the development of ideas, the development of a director, and in terms of just shorts as getting out an idea of just in a similar way as a novelist might write a couple of short stories um, just as a different thing. It's it's a very standard thing in Korea that if you're a director, you've done shorts and you'll probably do shorts again. And they're vitally important. Um, and the number of short film festivals in Korea is growing and growing. The number of shorts that get sent out to France and England, America, that profile old work, the profile new work is growing and growing as well. So, you know, they're vitally important and need to be talked about, which is what we're doing. So, so it's not hard for, uh, for directors therefore to be seen because studios and financiers and things like that, they, they keep an eye out on, on this thing. It's not uh, because uh, it would be, difficult if you had to walk to every studio like here's my show real here's my here's my short it seems like these are being watched they're they're really being watched and and more often than not you'll find that the successful shorts have been possibly independently made and then a studio such as a muse or niners as is the case with some of the things we're going to talk about step in and say look i'll tell you what we will finance you to do better post-production and we will release this to festivals and you know and then it'll go on cobiz's site um and if you look at cobiz which is sort of the industry standard every film every short film has sort of sales contact so they're they're essentially saying you want this you know get in touch with us and we'll we'll push it to you so they're they're in the the hub. They're keeping an eye beforehand, and then they're stepping in and getting their little their little hand in as well. And uh, that leads us uh, neatly into our first short up for discussion. I have some questions after the plot uh, because I'm curious about the filmmakers and so forth. But the first one, and it's not in uh, release order or any thematic order. It's merely my viewing order, I think, and that's all there is to it. So don't try and uh, uh, draw a line between Ken's uh, order here from from this to this to this. Ah. Uh, he said part of the Illuminati. <laughs> yes, yes, we know, we know. Uh, so, but the first short for this episode is Sprout from 2013, directed by Yoon ga Eun, And plot from Paul's review over at Angle Celluloid, the little seven-year-old Bori, played by Kim So-An, watches and listens intently as her family discusses preparations for her grandfather's memorial service. 
when her mother suddenly realizes in horror that she has forgotten to buy bean sprouts for the gathering. One of her relatives suggests Bori should be sent out to fetch them, the thought of uh, which makes the child almost physically jump for joy. But her mom instantly, instantly dismisses the idea, claiming that she is still far too young to go out on such a journey alone. However, the decision has already been made in our little explorer's mind, and uh, on being sent uh, to her room to play, she instead grabs her purse and bag in preparation for her important mission of getting bean sprouts. Though Bori has no idea where to actually buy bean sprouts, she knows it's nonetheless up to her to succeed in her quest and save the day single-handedly. And that's what we uh, that's the experience we get during these uh, 30 minutes or so. So it's not uh, five minutes of, uh, of this stuff or anything. There, there's going to be standard questions from, from my curious mind here across the board in terms of uh, these directors' occupation, before and since. So for Sprout's director, uh, Yoon Ga-eon, who made you know a frank, deep and symbolic little movie here, did, did he or she go any further? She did. She has jumped massively since. Yoon Ga-eon essentially started, you, you know... You, We'll always talk about, if we can, what they did beforehand. She essentially studied history at university. And as soon as she finished studying history, she went and studied at the Korea National University of Arts, looking into film, TV and multimedia. And while she was doing her course, she made her first little short called Taste of Saliva, followed by another one called Proof, followed by another one called Guest. And Sprout was actually her university graduation project. What what we're seeing is actually what allowed her to graduate and become, you know, in name, a director. After that, she sort of stepped towards script writing a little bit and helped out on a 2014 film called Tabloid Truth, which was feature length, but wasn't really well received. And in 2015, she did her own first feature-length film called The World of Us. And anybody that follows what I do will have heard me talk about that along with another film called Lovable that I adore. She's, she's obsessed with stories about young children. And The World of Us is about two young girls who bond, become close friends, and then it all starts to fall apart. And it's... It all, it all goes to hell, Korean cinema style, for two hours, so... <laughs> well, it, it goes to hell to an extent, but whether it ends up in hell and staying in hell, I, I can't tell you. Um, but we're talking about an hour, an hour and three quarters, two phenomenal performances from two very young schoolgirls, and as subtle, as nuanced, and as as moving as Sprite and, and any of her other films. Her big first fame, if you like, came from her short guest but um it was sprout that turned little kim suan into a star and made a name in the interim for yun gaon and that's a, a nice little segue talking of uh, the star of sprout because uh, the the casting of her whether she was uh, the daughter of someone i don't know uh, it had its uh, ripples uh, though because she would go on to tackle the zombie apocalypse along with her father in train to busan yep it's the it's the daughter there yep. uh, a couple of uh, years older she was uh, very expressive and emotional there so 
you know, what was the deal there? Has anyone ever documented, uh, you know, the making of Sprout uh, in terms of where she came from? And did uh, and did Yon Sang Ho in promotion of the film talk of, I saw that girl in this and this and wanted her in Train to Busan? Or what, what do you know about that? Essentially, she started out at five years of age in a, a really small film called Sorry Thanks. It's not really well known. It's not very well seen. It's not really very available. Um, same year, she did a melodrama called A Reason to Live, um, which is about a a, girl, a woman who forgives a teenager for killing her husband. Um, and she later finds out that after she forgave him, he killed somebody else. So um, very melodramatic sort of thing. She's a little child in it. Again, it was well thought of, not really well known. When she did Sprout, that's where she got her international attention. A director called Hu Jung. We've talked about him before because he did a film called Hide and Seek, um, which she actually started in. In terms of Train to Busan, she's done so many notable films since Sprite that you might assume that Young Sang Ho would have looked at Sprite essentially to pull her, but there's so much other stuff. I think it's a combination. I mean, she did a, a really you know, an award film winning film called Gyeongju. She did Cart, which was about um, workers protests. She did Coin Locker Girl, which along with with all the, you know, a female angst and female violence against females was a monumental film about a young girl who's just abandoned in a coin locker. Um, and then she was pulled into Train to Busan. So I think it's a case of him looking at her work as a whole and maybe having seen her in Sprite first and then followed her career but I don't think it was Sprite alone. So as for the reviewing portion for um, for Sprout and uh, as I said because there aren't as many notes it's a short movie I'm thinking we're gonna do turns or, or as close as do turns as we can do so I'll, I'll just rattle off my note here and uh, notes here and uh, just because it's short Sprout that is doesn't mean it's not nuanced or lacking in points. Uh, because it really does hit home and is nicely understated as it goes about its business. Uh, you see little uh, Bori, uh, she's, she's a keen observer of adults. And as a kid actor, she's a fine reactor. Uh, this is not cloying or forced, these uh, observations as she uh, finds out she has a mission. <laughs> it's the cutest reaction in the whole show. Like, huh? I can go outside. Yeah. <laughs> As director, she sort of takes charge, but uh, she sells that very well. I can do it, and she's charming as heck uh, doing so. So she faces new obstacles. Um, she navigates uh, uh, adults uh, facing adults and their their busy lives. Uh, you know, she uh, because it, it, the the short is really de- designed as a little road trip of sorts. So she she stumbles onto various obstacles like construction work, dogs, and it's charming even when you don't even if you don't know the final twist of it all it's charming as an adventure just detailing her uh, afternoon's journey you know the quest for sprout it's simplicity in mini format and uh, and it has a skillful natural flame it it also involves because the goalpost changes when you think he's reached her goal of picking up sprouts from the um, veggie truck the truck is left so obviously, damn it! What are we gonna do now? So uh, she she skillfully skillfully as a filmmaker, so moves that uh, goalpost. And uh, we also observe Boris' sharp characteristics, like uh, she knows when to decline a stranger's 
kindness, even though that stranger might simply have been kind. Uh, so, but it isn't flirting with darkness. She simply knows that. Well, I'm. I'll go off on my own. So no, thank you. And she she just moves on. And I guess as a filmmaker, Yoon already knows when to not intrude because she's dealing with kids, especially someone who you can't uh, do like detail direction and shoot 50 takes with and really get in her face doing so you sort of need to i think step back and craft a natural frame for her to move about in because she is only seven years old you can only work with her for you know a few hours at a time presumably even though it's made as a short for for school and all of that i don't think they they did 20 hour days with this kid certainly not Uh, because uh they're they're seven years old they're the bundles of energy but um it, it's a lot to place on on someone. Uh, she's a lead, um, and and yeah, she she is sharp as a character, but it's tough and unknown and scary out there. So and she she it's revealed that she is a sensitive sensitive individual. So I enjoy those passages as as well. Maybe it's a bit too packed of an afternoon because she also and and but by the way, throughout these discussions there might be spoilers. As a matter of fact, because I think some of the uh, shorts deserve a little. Uh, discussion or two about some of its mid or even end twists so if you haven't seen any of this then we're gonna spoil some of it because the only thing i thought was slightly forced but it's over quickly is the fact that she gets drunk even and just starts singing and she's happy and then she's not drunk after a while she moves on but well, after all is said and done, Paul, uh, these uh, details during the trip and the observations by her as she experiences uh, these new hurdles and how to overcome them, it, it's very charming. It's not done by an amateur. It feels like a natural filmmaker coming to life. And uh, and then by the end, and I won't spoil this, but uh, she underplays neatly the twist and secret of this short without... She underplays it. But, and doesn't spell it out completely, but stays there in the middle for us to go like, huh, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh. And for for a student to do this, that means there's filmmaking instincts in there. And uh, and uh, I think uh, that, that whole sense of naturalism plus the actual, you know, conceived twist of it all and what it all meant and uh, if we should even ponder that much about what it all meant uh, all that is a good thing and uh, the uh, the unexplained works and uh, just letting it be is good but I- i'm not saying it's abstract though because um, we we sort of get like oh she had a little extraordinary experience but she, our director doesn't make noise and i quite like that so i'm gonna end my note there other than asking you did mention it was, uh, you know, a school project. So, so therefore, there, there's no actors here that you spot. Ah, uh, oh, I've seen that actor here in, uh, in other productions. It's just, am- uh, it's just amateurs and things. Pretty much, and uh, you know, some students, some actors as such, but nothing big. The only name really is Kim Suan, and her name only came in hindsight, if you like. So I'm, um, uh, I approve. So there you are. I, I've I've seen it once before, thanks to you. But uh, I obviously rewatched it. So uh, why don't you rattle off your notes on on Sprout, uh, the seasoned viewer that you are of Sprout? The poster for Sprout has the tagline, "It was my very first mission," and that sums up the movie for me in its entirety. We've got a, a view of Korean day to day life from 
the perspective of a young girl who has no idea what she's doing, no idea what she's going, but has the determination and the chutzpah, the, the intelligence to actually get something done, in theory anyway. I love the fact that we go through these tiny little moments that would be nothing to any normal person, but to her, they're these huge obstacles. And really, her intelligence screams through in in every scene. Is it too uh, is it too clever? You think uh, as depicted, as directed, or is this you think uh, a pure seven year old adventure without it being too clever or anything? No, I I think I think it hits spot on. It it made me it warmed me. You know, when you see her, not to give too much of a spoiler away, when you see her approaching a construction site and they're telling her to go away and she sort of looks them in the eye from the side and tries to get down and you can just see the little cogs in her head turning thinking how am I going to get past this and you know she's just she's pitch perfect the whole way through Um, from the very moment where you see her first walking down the road and she does a little stomp moving her arms up and down like she's heading on her mission it's just from my point of view, it's just beautifully done. If you look at films, Korean films, that feature around children, you will often see a similar sort of deal of, you know, the thing from the perspective of the child. Treeless Mountain comes immediately to mind. But there are a few films that I think hit it so perfectly, as Sprite did, and considering it was a graduation project, that's quite something. Um, my My final bit is the fact that a lot of Korean cinema, a lot of Korean shorts will deal with spirituality of a sort. Um, we'll talk more about that with other things we're, we're going to be watching in this section. But I think that was beautifully handled. It's very obvious that that's where they started the idea from. And I, and I think she handles it absolutely perfectly. Yeah, it's not uh, forced down your throat or anything, but you, obviously you knew or know that something extraordinary has happened by the end but uh it's not uh cloying as i said or or forced or anything it uh, feels like a very natural and interesting twist to it all uh, totally without it being you know uh, this uh usual suspects fight club twist or anything so uh so so uh, well-deserved graduation uh, one can summarize it as Holy, holy! And if you if you see Sprite and you haven't seen the world of us, I guarantee Sprite will make you want to see the world of us. And I think that's that's a bit of an accolade for it as well. And it wasn't random either. This um, the way she tapped into little Kim So An because based on Train to Busan, she is uh, a very attentive little actor and clearly yeah. also want to be on that path. You know, it doesn't seem like a kid who's disinterested in portraying characters uh, because even in Train to Busan her reacting in a low-key but also emotional way is uh, is spot on in in that movie it really works for that uh, that action zombie horror spectacle that that is Uh, she's not anonymous in that movie but yet it isn't uh, cloying just because it's a kid or anything and you can kind of say that about you know virtually everything she's been in even if they're very small parts she's noticeable in everything because there's there's this sort of feeling of keen observing she's got you know there's this meeting of eyes and she she's constantly on the watch and i think that's her as much as 
the character in Sprout, that whole first scene where she's looking around the table and her, her little head's jumping from one to the other and giggling as they giggle. I think that is really natural. It feels natural, but having seen the stuff she's done since, she she does the same sort of thing. So I think that's as much the little actress as the director. to the next short we go back to the oldest one in the bunch here from 2003 maybe the second most famous one out of the bunch i don't know we we've certainly mentioned it every now and again uh but it's the short called doggy poo from 2003 directed by kwon o song and the plot uh, short and sweet from wikipedia after being created in quotation marks by a dog Doggy Poo meets various living and inanimate things. Uh, no one wants to be his friend, and Doggy Poo becomes sad because he believes he is worthless and he has no purpose. And my addition is, the Poo finds its purpose. But how? Well, maybe may, we, we won't spoil that, perhaps. But, but as I said, there's within these shorts, there's like mid reveals that have to do with themes and so forth so certainly uh, when we get to the night fishing short i think uh, you have to sort of talk of what goes on from the midpoint on a little and a little bit forward so again uh, it's uh, slight spoilers within even the doggy poo review what uh, makes this stand out well it's a stop motion animated film which is based on a 1968 children book of the children's book of the same name uh, I heard some nuggets about the author in the making of that's on the US DVD of Doggy Poo. That the author, and I didn't uh, note the author's name, I'm terribly sorry, but uh, the author is a bit of a recluse, and but also has a theme throughout his work that uh, and, and Doggy Poo has therefore themes that are not uncommon common to the director's, um, uh, the author's work as such. It's very kind-hearted spiritual to a degree uh, but uh, but yeah that, that's um, an interesting um, sort of thing that the, the author has uh, based his observations and so forth on living out in the countryside for many years of his life or even the entirety of his life so uh, just so you know his his name the, the author's name is Quan J Sang this one, the Doggy Poo, that is the finished uh, short here, the stop motion animated short, uh, made its way overseas to the point where, where it was English dubbed and released on uh, US DVD. It won the Best Pilot Award at the 2003 Tokyo International Anime Fair and the Viewers' Choice Award at the 2003 Big Apple Anime Fest. And my question to you, has it resonated with children only or adults have spoken of it uh, to uh, you know of the short to the point where it's like a fond memory in viewers it is uh, it's still brought up because of its impact you know essentially what's the buzz on the scene uh, having known the korean scene for so many years and the short movies i'll, I'll tell you a little story it's a story we we, we, got, we got a children's yeah. story and now paul's gonna tell a story yeah it's, it's kind of like a children's story um we all message each other on various things, you know, whether it be WhatsApp or Facebook or whatever. Koreans love a thing called Kakio Talk. And it's just, it's a messaging app. It's the same as every other one. 
obviously because I speak to a lot of Koreans, I'm on khaki will talk as well as anything else. And certain individuals were having a, a little poke at me because I didn't have my profile picture on. You know, I just had an image of some sort. And I thought, right, that's okay. And <laughs> right, let's show him. You know, I just happened to have watched Doggy Poo not long before. So I got a screenshot of Doggy Poo with the little tagline that just said, but I'm just a Doggy Poo. Put it up as my profile picture, and I've never had as many responses bang, bang, bang in my life from mostly women going, wow, it's Doggy Poo. I remember Doggy Poo from when I was at school, blah, 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 blah. It it turns out that after it was released, it was shown on TV and it was screened at cartoon and animation festivals. But after a period, for a time, Korean schools showed Doggy Poo to the pupils. So for every, virtually every Korean that's, you know, 20s, late 20s now, they remember Doggy Poo with nostalgia because they grew up with it. And if if you imagine school kids being made to watch a, a film about poo, they're immediately going to warm to it because it's just icky. It, it's hugely, hugely nostalgically thought of in a wonderful way by the Korean people. A lot of that's why it, it got pushed internationally because they were talking about it so much. And this art form of uh, stop motion, even though it makes us CG, um, it has uh, CG environments and things like that. Uh, but uh, this art form of stop motion, has there ever, you know, as far as you know, been a push for it in Korean TV and movies? Or is this a rare exercise in Korea, in your estimation? It's certainly not rare. I'm going to tell you another story. This, this is more a history lesson of sorts. If you look back at the 1960s, at animation in Korea, there really wasn't any. American films were were being shown as well as Korean stuff, and it was all Disney, 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 you know, Snow White, etc., etc. There was an introduction of a thing called the Motion Picture Law in the early 60s, which forced more American stuff to be shown. And the more American stuff that was shown, Korean directors decided they needed to push themselves add to that the fact that everything apart from children's films was hugely censored during the time that that filmmakers could only do melodramas you know the the standard weebies um but children's films were pretty much left alone so directors were warm to doing animation doing kids cartoons if you like in 1967 a director called Kang Dae Wung was had been working in Japan on a Japanese stop motion thing that he got involved in just by the by while he was studying. He went back to Korea and he decided he was going to make the first stop motion animation called Hyungbu and Nolbu, um, which was about a rich boy and a poor boy, one cruel, one kind sort of thing. It was a huge success. And he carried on with his stop motion animations for for a number of years, really. His most noticeable after that was a thing called Kwanji and Panji, um, which was in 1978. So Korea was very aware of stop motion stuff. As time progressed, normal animation in terms of, you know, the, the, the standard cell animation became increasingly more popular than stop motion. 
and for for a, a couple of decades there was very little stop motion made then it started to head towards tv just smaller things and that's where it resides mostly now because in terms of animation nowadays over there it's all very much the sort of pixar idea of of what animation should look like so it's weaned a little bit but it's still in use on t- in shorter forms on television and stuff therefore in 2003 stop motion wasn't completely a rare thing even though there might not have been any other stop motion short movies as such in 2003 but regardless if there was this one clearly came out on top and traveled totally totally because it is not purely a korean spiritual journey as as will detail that's why it's easily sold and not this foreign foreign thing or anything uh, but uh, i i say spirituality is it any difficult to absorb absolutely not i mean uh, I'll, I'll i'll get to that theme of it all uh, it's a sweet sweet simple one the nostalgic sort of old man in me uh, like to return to this very handmade old school type of hard work that is stop motion animation because yes they use uh, computer generated imagery for for environments i know there's uh, they they sh- they shot some stuff on blue screen so they added the uh, background environments there's uh, leaves blowing in the wind but still all of that it's mixed very well with the physical hard work of stop motion animation and the flow of the stop motion feels right it doesn't have too too much of a smooth frame rate just because it's 2003 and also it's not too restrictive either it's they, they take on challenges as makers because yes when doggy poo meets the pile of dirt the pile of dirt is is essentially just the eyes in the mouth because it's a still pile of dirt and doggy poo is not hugely expressive but he's designed that way even though doggy poo is uh, voiced by voiced by a woman so it's not just that because they go for the full movement of human and animals as well so it's a very competent little production that showcases that we're not going to back away from challenges as we depict this world full on and all of that is very very well very well done and uh, in a way it's heavy-handed in a way i think that's fully acceptable because it's charming enough because it's the symbolism is very clear doggy poo is born out of the butt of a dog <laughs> so yes it's icky but clearly there's spirituality here there's religious themes going on here but still as you get into it it's fun how they depict their perspective in all simplicity you know the journey from for example the journey of the soil you know the dirt uh, which i thought was so fun uh, he was more he he uh, he falls off uh, a cart right and he thinks he's doomed because once he was uh, happy being uh, soil and dirt for uh, because he helped grow potatoes and uh, had a task in life he was part of a system so he was part of growth and warmth and that introspective you know it's it's simple but it's not lacking in point in poignancy and uh, as these uh, I say characters go through these lows to highs it it obviously doesn't avoid the subtlety of it all and nor the heavy topics which is really religion and uh, rebirth and finding your purpose but when all is said and done I think I think it's good that they go for it because it's 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 not teaching uh, kids or adults you know the word of uh, the bible or anything it's they we are being taught the cycles of life right Uh, and uh, even leaves have 
a cycle within life as we get to experience and uh, then you you involve you involve yourself into this little drama this little melodrama where Pooh goes from loneliness to realizing that uh, uh, he or she if you will have a purpose in life and um, it, it it's very obvious what it all means and what it can connect to but I don't think there's anything wrong with that because uh, I, I thought it was very charming uh, I used that word again but I think it was and uh, coupled that with how they technically pulled this off which is very well uh, especially the, the scene in the rain they stop motion animate water and yeah. that must be a bitch to do <laughs> it's not the added uh, foreground or background CG rain only they stop motion animate yeah. liquid right and I thought that was uh, great and uh, it's uh, it, it contains useful little uh, lessons and it's uh, fun and uh, the, the only negative I had is that um, while I love the score it's a little bit too uh, trigger happy throughout the, the short they, they could have kept uh, some sections a bit more quiet uh, the composer's uh, piano score gets laid into a ton of scenes and I thought I wanted a f- few more scenes quiet but uh, when all is said and done heavy handed but very uh, sweet despite and uh, you can't really dislike something with this amount of hard man-made work behind it so uh, that's uh, that's me so let's throw over to you in terms of uh, Doggy Poo and I know you've seen this uh, a couple of times throughout the years I'm sure seen it many many times talked about it many many times um, I love from the get-go the fact that the first time you see Doggy Poo is when he is ejected shall we say from a dog and it does have to be said that if if you speak to most Western people about this, and I have, you know, people have, have responded when I've mentioned it to go, what, there's there's a, a film about poo? Korea, Korean society has has a thing about poo, always has had. Um, again, that Kakio talk thing runs with little emojis and, and Koreans love using their emojis, finish, finishing little messages with you know smiley faces whatever else there are a set of emojis that are poo they've been so successful that you can go into a store in korea and buy a poo emoji hat of course you can i have seen koreans wearing these poo hats and i want one (laughs) and i'm you know you think about it and you think "I, i wouldn't get away walking around uh knightsbridge with that no maybe in maybe in koreatown you could I love I love the fact that you know that's just going to draw kids in from anywhere because of its ickiness, and I love the fact that that the overall theme of this is you can be whatever you want to be. It's so positive for kids. It's so positive for you know middle aged men who have lost their way. I think it works really well. That the stop motion is really well done. It speaks to, of Korean cinema in more ways than just being a stop motion, because this is this is melodrama to the extreme. Of course, you know that this. But that sadness made sense to me because um, it, it really feels like the, the full realization has really come in one go for Doggy Poo. That totally. Uh, totally. Where do I go now? Like I, I'm li- clearly he's even called. I say he or she, but whatever. Uh, called the lowest of the low. And I mean, yeah. how are you going to react to that? Uh, cl- clearly, it's also someone who's recently born. I know we're talking deep about Pooh, but uh, there it is. So obviously, <laughs> yeah. emotions run high. You know, even though he was made as a... It's, the storytelling is very clear. It, there's no way you can misinterpret anything that goes on here. Does it ever stray into being too heavy-handed in terms of the melodrama and or spirituality for you? 
that's a tough call. Um, on, on rewatching it, I was hugely aware of how melodramatic it was, which I hadn't remembered from the previous time. That's just, I mean, that's par for the course with a lot of Korean cinema. Um, because of its its nature, I, I think they, they had, they felt they had to do that. And maybe it is a little heavy handed in terms of its, its, its melodramatic idea behind the themes, but ultimately it's so sweet. It gets away with it just about because it is kind, as you said, after all, it's not uh, controversial lessons being taught here. It's more philosophical lessons yeah. about finding purpose. Finding purpose is about, well, as long as Pooh turns to Jesus, then it will be all right. <laughs> you know, it's not heavy-handed like that, but obviously it's approaching that to a degree. But uh, I, I, I wasn't bothered with it because I think it's going to hit children in a, in a good way. And it actually has hit adults in a good way, too, without adults so. like scoffing at it. Well, <laughs> if only the kids know what it's actually talking about. <laughs> no, it's, it's affecting enough. And uh, its rep, I think, is very much earned. I, I tend to agree. You know, I think... It, it certainly has its moments, and I, I think the doggy poo character itself is, is deeply sweet, even if he she does cry just a little bit too often. I I was convinced it was voiced by a kid, but uh, the making of show showed it's a voice by an adult woman. So there it is. But uh, obviously that that's not difficult or anything. But um, yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, move on to the next one then, uh, changing tack uh, completely, and uh, now we bring in some of the big guns here. Uh, Night Fishing from 2011. It's a co-direct adventure between bros, and not friendly bros, but actually brothers. One yeah. of the brothers is a little uh, little unknown man called Park Chan-wook, and uh, his brother, therefore, is Park Chan-kyung. And uh, these uh, are both filmmakers, as we'll uh, detail, I think, uh, li- um, in a little bit. And Park Chan-wook, obviously, the director of The Handmaiden, Old Boy, Simple Fifth, Mr. Vengeance, and what have you. And in between his busy career, what was his movie before 2011, off the top of your head? First? Had he done First by 2011? Had he done Stoker by 2011? Oh. No, he, he hadn't done Stoker, he hadn't done Thirst. So would this be after Cyborg? I'm a Cyborg? Yeah, pretty much. It's around that time. Right on. So it's a, it's a complete uh, turnaround from the what I heard was the the wackiness of uh, I'm a cyborg, but that's okay. Uh, but I haven't seen the whole movie, so I, I only go in by rep that I heard it was a wacky movie. But maybe I'm, I'm a cyborg is a packed movie that's also sad and wacky. Opinions are very polarized. You either love I'm a cyborg or you absolutely hate it. I, I used to write for a, an Asian magazine called Neo, um, which is it's a UK magazine. One of the main editors of of it abhors I'm a Cyborg because it features a, the main character is a girl who's mentally ill. She's in a, an insane asylum, essentially. Um, she is convinced that her granny's teeth allow her to talk to speakers, inanimate objects, and she refuses to eat. And uh, he was deeply offended by 
Parchanuk trying to make humor out of mel- mental illness. Whereas from my point of view, I actually thought it was it was a very sweet film, which was about, again, finding your place, finding where you fit and finding what you're meant to be. So it, everybody's really polarized. I, I recommend watching it whether you assume you'll like it or not. It's it's worth watching simply because it's Park Chanuk not doing Park Chanuk because he made it essentially for his daughter because she was too young to get in to see any of his, his big films like JSA and, and the like. All right, oh, cool. Well, Night Fishing, uh, somewhat more adult, uh, from 2011, directed by Park Chanuk and uh, Park Chan Kyung. Older brother or younger brother? Older brother. And the plot from Paul's review at Hangul Celluloid, the character of Gi Suk, played by Oh Kwang Rock, heads out to the countryside to spend some time fishing alone. And after setting up his various reels, uh, settle, he settles down to wait for a fish to bite. And as night begins to fall, he finally hears the, the uh, tingle of the bite alarm, signaling that he might have snared something. But on struggling to land his catch, he finds not a fish on his hook, but instead of a limp and seemingly lifeless body of a young woman, played by Lee Jong Hyun. She's dressed in funeral attire and she's tangled up in his line. And there, there's thoughts. Uh, uh, it's uh, one of the most high profile directors of this episode, and in general, of course, he goes with a small format, uh, crafting this 2011 fantasy horror short uh, co directed with his brother Park Shan Kyung. And their credit reads uh, directed, produced, written by Parking Chance. So, parking, as in parking your car, and Chance has taken a chance. So, it's uh, but the park is in all caps, then ing, and then Chan is in all caps, and then. Uh, uh, CE, so Parking Chance, which is their created uh, brand name as uh, brothers. I don't know if they ever used it again for uh, for something else, or if it was only one this one time for for night fishing. Oh, they used it a lot, but we'll talk about that in a minute. It it, it, it uh, well well that, that's really my question. I, I even forgot about that. So uh, what other ventures has has the uh, Parking Chance brand uh, gone into other than uh, making this short movie? Well, essentially this parking chance name um, was created specifically for doing night fishing it was the idea of apple's korean distributor kt um, and they funded it said you know make a film on an iphone show what an iphone can do and yeah night fishing has has gone down in history as being a korean film shot on an iphone it was actually shot on nine iphones and each of them had professional lenses and obviously the production post-production was all on professional equipment so it's a lot more than just a movie shot on an iphone i don't think that matters but it, it is one of those things if you look at park chan kyung who's park chanuk's brother his career has been mixed between filmmaking and artwork a lot of which has little short films in it a lot of installations with a video showing here and some artwork there he's he's he curates exhibitions he's a lot more broadly focused than his also famous brother but together they have done since night fishing another four projects they did a thing in 2012 called day trip which was essentially a pansori you know traditional singing 
version of a story about a young girl who loses a competition and goes on a journey to find herself. Um, they did a thing called Bitter, Bittersweet Soul in 2013, um, which was, oh, excuse me, 2014, which they called on loads of individuals to just send clips in of their idea of soul. And they took 141 of those clips and merged them into a movie of sorts. In 2017, they did a thing called Decades Apart, which was a 3D short that was used within a, one of Park Chan Kyung's exhibitions. Each thing has been intensely original and has featured sort of the ideas of both. But if you look at Parking Chance, it really speaks more of Park Chan Kyung than it does of Park Chan. I'm maybe giving a game away a little bit, but if you look at the films that Park Chan-kyun has done. He's done Mansion, 10,000 Spirits, and all the, the things with his brother. If you look at Mansion, you will see scenes of a flying hat. You look at night fishing, you see a scene of a flying hat. You look at, you look at Mansion, it's got shamanism in it, shaman rituals. You look at night fishing, it's got shaman rituals in it. So as soon as I watched Having seen some of his stuff beforehand, watching Night Fishing, it actually screamed to me, this is Park Chan-kyung's stuff rather than Park Chan-uk's because it just speaks of the things that he talks about, spirituality and, well, flying hats. But, but still, they clearly like working together, so it's not like totally. he, he needs to add his name so Elder Park can't get anything off the ground. It just seems like, well, well let's combine to to uh, to get it done and uh, even though it might be more your voice than my voice uh, Park Chan Wook speaking to his brother so I guess that's okay a, a lot of people listening to this will know of Park Chan and may not have heard of Park Chan Kyung but he is pretty famous in his own right it's just in a different way from his brother and I think it's a nice it's a nice blend that the two of them work so well together being famous in their own fields whether you're, you know, one person's aware of one more than the other or not. Did did you say he was more 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 of a painter, or or he just puts out the art exhibitions using media? All of the above, you know. He he's actually got his own website, and if you go on and look at the exhibitions he's done, there there's photography, there's artwork, there's there's sculptures, there's things with videos linked with. Again, artwork. It's really eclectic. He's all over the place. Just something grabs his attention. No matter what it is, if he feels it's creative, he'll give it a go. And yes, he makes films. And his films are actually quite something. They're very, very different than his brother's. But that's only one little corner of his his focus, really. Is, there, is it therefore his type of vision for films? Is it more dense and hard to grasp? Or is it abstract just because he's an artist it's very very traditional if if you're interested in traditional korean society you'll get what he's doing say you've never ever seen a shaman performing a ritual you're going to find it harder to get to grips with it's far less international than parchanuk's work it's 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 far more traditionally korean that's what he likes to talk about he likes to push the, the way things were and the way I guess he thinks they sh- should still be. Right on. Okay, cool. That, that, that is a good uh, good image of uh, him as a creator. And uh, after it was um, 
uh, crafted on the iPhone and all of that. It uh, went to the f- festival circuit and it ultimately won the Golden Bear for Best Short Film at the 61st Berlin International Film Festival. So uh, we, we, have, we, we won't talk availability as such because it varies. It's only on, on uh, press streaming services and some have reached DVD. Uh, Night Fishing, did it ever get onto DVD in some shape or form on a compilation of sort or as a bonus or... It uh, was never really available uh, officially. The really weird thing about the shorts thing is some, like you say, you'll only get on streaming in terms of being able to sit and watch. Some, you'll only see at festivals, you won't even see streaming. And some will suddenly appear as extras on a director's later. You know, if they do a, a feature film, they'll maybe include one of their shorts. It's a, we've seen that a few times. Night Fishing's a, a rare thing because it was released as the DVD of Night Fishing and it was it was the short alone. That's rare, especially for something that's, you know, essentially slightly shy of 30 minutes. Yeah, because you you also sort of assume, even though this was back, this was back when the iPhone 4 was, was, was new, still we had... YouTube or Korea had maybe some local streaming services. So you you would think something that was made on a device would get, you know, full availability to to the people. But um, but with these shorts, you can't assume that. I, you know, regardless of how they were made, you know, tradi- traditionally or on a device spiced up with uh, some extra cool lenses or whatever. You know, a, a few years ago, night before it came out on DVD, it was available on streaming sites, a number of legitimate streaming sites. And it was all without subtitles. Right, okay. It took a long time for the DVD to appear with subtitles. And, you know, after that, you're there. It's 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 available. It's still available. So, And it, it's a movie of um, two hops, uh, as I get into my review notes here. And uh, it's uh, certainly not um, predictable as such. Uh, I, I was afraid I was going to be out of the loop completely because uh, the band performance that opens the film and uh, why they're, the band are wearing the clothes they are and why the park is uh, flowing there in the wind, I wouldn't know. I was thinking more like, are the parks fucking around just because they can? Uh, mm. Or what's going on here? But uh, we, we settled into the groove. There's a loose style on display here. They they may shoot on iPhones that are attached to, obviously, uh, tripods or whatever they need to, to stabilize matters. But the quality still screams a little bit that uh, this is looser footage. This is phone footage. It's more naturalistic. And then they mostly shoot in uh, natural environments anyway, especially uh, when we are in the fishing part of the story and again that there will be some mild spoilers here but uh, that that um, sort of elusive like huh disappears because we settle into the character's nature hobby of fishing he sets up his camp his radio his harmony and uh, the parks uh, start teasing us in terms of uh, what are they going to do here because they start working with filters again this loose style it's almost like Dogman 95 Lost from Trias, loose in style and he plays with nature and ambience and uh, test pattern sounds uh, you know feedback and this sort of creepy non-verbal finding of a teddy bear of sorts or like a doll then I think Paul Chanuk enters the fray because the scene where he catches the corpse and the the corpse is obviously entangled in the wires or the lines and so is he and he tries to get away and he can't because the corpse keeps falling uh, onto him i think that's park chanuk's uh, droll humor just shining 
And, totally. Uh, and he's being gross too. He's totally being gross because she, she either pukes into his mouth, uh, actual puke, or it's water because she's yeah, uh, been in the water. And I think that that's uh, just him shining through because that droll humor just shoot it and let those actors clumsily do that very choreographed, obviously, uh, uh, interplay with each other. That That's funny. And then it's mysterious because she switches clothes with him. And so we, we're far from being able to be map out this other than it seems supernatural. You don't want to spoil, but I guess you sort of need to spoil that the other half switches tack completely to feature shamanism, I suppose. And it becomes an unpredictable frame. There's certainly a cinematic whiplash, but we get why why all of a sudden this switch occurs and what the night fishing actually symbolizes and what it is, if it's, uh, if it's life or if it's afterlife. And it becomes quite intense and quite almost documentary in style. Like, you know, for instance, Park Chan-kyung was capturing a real-life performance uh, and i don't know is she an actress lee uh, jong hyun or is she because she she seems it seems authentic what she's doing here she is both an actress and a k-pop girl um she's much she's much more known as a a, as a solo k-pop lady she's a singer essentially who's done you know a fair bit of acting her choice to be in this film was simply because her whole performance is wonderful, but because of her her vocals and her ability to to sing that shaman ritual towards the end of the film. Yeah, and and I, I don't think I, I have any other notes other than I I got it and I felt affected by this, and I liked the concept as I now understood the different halves and how their interplay works. It was quite a it did felt original to me, and I mean I had fun with it, and then. Then they said, like, we're done with having fun now. <laughs> like, check this out. We're going to switch tack completely. And that, that raw and real documentary feel is very non-staged and authentic, which I, I appreciated. Uh, not uh, like uh, like an amateur shot this or anything. It just screamed authentic yeah, and um, very uh, very vocal and very oral, uh, so to say. And I quite, quite liked it. It made me uncomfortable. And then I understood... Its purpose, its purpose, warmth. I don't know emotions. Yeah, the closure. Yeah, but really a, a nice merger of the different halves. Even though I didn't f- fully understand what the band performance at the top was truly about, and maybe uh, we, we're not supposed to ask that question uh, as such. But uh, that's uh, I liked it. I, I liked it quite a bit. So, uh, what are your uh, reviewing notes on night fishing? Okay, I'm gonna agree with everything you said. I'm gonna mentioned the fact that even though you said you weren't sure what was going on earlier on you got it and that's that's cool from you know an outside perspective that that's how you are supposed to watch movies you know watch it from beginning to end and then make your your determination totally totally but you know this is park chanuk and park chan kyung and, and you know they are talented to the nth degree and if we take just a, these are not really spoilers i promise if you take just a few little examples, what was going on that that w- would be to most international viewers so surprising as it transpired, we've got clues through the roof. If you look at when the main male character goes and sits down and starts fishing, he turns the radio on 
and what you hear very quietly in the background is the song from the shaman ritual at the very end. They don't translate for the, the subtitles. They don't translate the whole song, but they translate parts of it. And if you were fluent in Korean, you would recognize it as a shaman song to, let's just say, push a journey of sorts. It's kind of creepy the way you tell it, because uh, obviously it, that ritual isn't about uh, destroying or anything, but, it, but, no, 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 but it's no, kind no, of creepy no. How, how they play with uh, for such ambience. Obviously, the translation here is only of the weather report on the radio. Uh, I think yeah, that was it. If we look, you, you said something that you you thought was something furry or whatever, like a teddy bear. Yeah, it's a not doll a, or it, a teddy bear. Yeah. It, it's not actually a doll. It's it, furry is not the right word, but it's uh, an implement that shamans use to call spirits or make spirits move. Okay, because I thought it was an echo of sorts, again, might spoiler of that person's life, uh, as a matter of fact. Essentially, if you look at the the actual ritual at the end one of the other shamans has got one of these things on a stick and is shaking it repeatedly so so from the very get-go from those things we've got a shaman ritual on the radio we've got shaman artifacts on the ground before he pulls this girl out of or this fish out of the water who turns out to be a girl who is wearing wearing a robe that is used for one purpose and one purpose only white completely white and i'm not going to spoil it by giving the game away but when it switches clothing to him wearing it knowing that that is what that article of clothing is for immediately tells you what's going on before you before you've even seen her start to do her shaman thing so the the clues are there from from start to finish um the fact that you're able to get it even if you aren't aware of those things i think shows how strong this film is are they playing you think therefore a little bit with uh, audiences abroad and locally by evoking evoking horror even though it, it's not horror and then switching to humor is that is, is that a good thing for the movie to like switch moods so much as i think, think so and there there are there are very few directors that can get away with switching moods in in something that's ultimately that serious to make it that funny. You know, he can do it, Bong Joon-ho can do it. There are not that many that manage it properly, and he manages it really well. The whole girl being tied up or held caught up in the, the fishing line, and as he moves, even though she seems to be dead, or at least unconscious, you know, she pulls her arms and her arms go round him. It's 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 phenomenal it's so beautifully choreographed and it looks so natural but it's just that out of everything that was one of the the scenes that stuck with me the most aside from her actual shaman song at the end that that quite moved me i have to say in 2014 i was part of an interview with park chan kyung which is on the site hangelcelluloid.com so if you want to get more into the difference between what he and Park Chanuk do, nip over to the site when you get a chance and read the interview. It's quite interesting. Excellent. Even if I do say it with myself. Oh, well, it's uh, cool that you've met uh, that park. So uh, you, you, you've you hit uh, Korean cinema bingo quite a while back, I think. But uh, there's always variants of that bingo, I, I suppose. Uh, and Park Chanuk uh, could be included in that bingo. Hopefully it will be at one point, you know. Hopefully. The, hard, hard, the, the bigger he gets, the harder he is to get hold of. 
So moving on to the next plot, uh, plot and the next short uh, is something uh, completely uh, different, uh, maybe socially relevant, as I'll tell you all about it. Uh, it's called Miss Longlegs from 2012, directed by Yun Mo, and plot from Paul's review at Hango Celluloid, number one he has reviewed. Uh, the character of uh, Gion Soon, played by Kim Joo Hyun, is one of a group of sex workers whose livelihood is soon to be decimated by changes in Korean law relating to prostitution while her work colleagues are already making plans to continue their profession elsewhere some even abroad the news that gion soon has contracted an std uh, puts even that possibility in jeopardy for her and though she clearly despises her job offering her body for money only grudgingly the ever decreasing circles uh, of her options leave her with little room for hope and no reason to think less disdainfully of her boss her clients or her life than others think of her as gion soon sits in the window front of uh, the brothel because it's that kind of brothel under the harsh uh, in uh, glare of lights and the endless gaze of uh, passerbys a young and seemingly depressed girl of school age played by wang min ah catches her eye at a nearby market stall across the street recognizing uh, another lost soul with a similarly ongoing problem gion soon decides to do what she can to help however neither is aware of just how kindred their spirits really are. So it's a small little uh, 20 minute piece that covers uh, all of this. So we're, we're hitting uh, 2012, Miss Longlegs by director Yun Mo, as I said. So I'm going to hand it over to you to fill, uh, fill, fill, in, fill it in for my curious self. If the director is at hand has merely done shorts, gone on to features, or what is Yun Mo doing uh, primarily? Yun Mo is hard to get hold of. Um, he did this film in 2012. I think there was a specific reason he did it in 2012, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Since then, word has it that he's working on other people's projects, but you cannot find any details of any of the projects he's working on. You cannot find any details of what he did before Miss Longlegs. He's one of those names that there are loads of, even on official Korean film pages. There are pages with his work of Miss Longlegs. There are pages of his name as a director, but there is no bio, there's no details, and he's just one of those faces that came, did a, what I feel is a really quite important little short film, and then just disappeared. And he may well reappear in a few years. It's happened before, but finding information on him, virtually impossible. There is a thought behind this, clearly. It's socially relevant, clearly. So is this tapping into then current social issues? We mentioned legislation regarding prostitution. So, Because it seems like a snapshot that would be recognizable if someone followed public debate in 2012. So so is Ms. Longlegs really relevant to what was going on in 2012? Hugely, hugely relevant. Let's let's not beat about the bush. Prostitution and pornography have always been illegal in Korea. Um, and for many years, the authorities sort of turned a blind eye and you got these red light districts turning up. And, you, you know, if you if you look at Miss Longlegs, the start scene where you see this row of just window after window with women sitting in these rooms with their bedrooms behind, I guess, they popped up, they became really popular. Um, and they were sort of ignored, you know, that one would be shut down here, and shut down there, but it wasn't really dealt with. 
but in 2002, 14 prostitutes in one red light district died in a fire while they were trapped in their rooms. And immediately the Korean government went, right, we're going to crack down on this. And they introduced what's known as a special law on prostitution, which meant that prostitutes and their clients could be imprisoned for between a year and two years for just plying their trade. And over the years since, many politicians and whatever have tried to get that law repealed and it's been rejected and repealed and rejected. But in 2012, before this film was was made, a prostitute called Kim Jong-mi was the first sex worker to file a legal challenge against the law. And it, it, it was a, a media storm. There was a lot of them in an and It went on for ages and ages. And just when they thought it was going to be repealed, the, the authorities just went, no, actually, we're going we're gonna to reinforce it and make it you know, even stronger. And if you look at, at certain scenes in Miss Longlegs in the middle, there's a scene where a, a girl in just underwear with loads of, I guess, paint on her and a painted up face does this weird dance. And you think, what on earth is that? Shortly after you see a group of prostitutes with banners saying repeal the special law. So this this film, as far as I'm concerned, was in direct response to that move from that prostitute who was turned down in 2012. Really not a movie that, um, to me anyway, yeah, yeah, it takes a stand to a degree. I mean, it, uh, it sympathizes mm. to a degree, but it isn't... Uh, promising uh you know the, the solution in a 20 minute package or anything uh but it, but it certainly provides a snapshot a, a little bit of a grimier reality uh, tale but uh, it seems very socially relevant and you you understand at least the character's predicament even if you don't know the actual real life laws that were trying to be repealed but instead were uh, enacted but he follows it very well, uh, handheld, especially as the day starts. You know, it's a, it's a day in the life of someone who has contracted STD. These environments that are that I think are real environments. I, I don't think they, this screams of Let, let's build this stuff for this little short movie. You you know, these tile walls uh, within uh, the brothel that she sits in. I reacted to that for some reason, especially as the one scene made me uncomfortable and so, sort of made me laugh when the pimp pins pornography to the tiles it seems very mm. grimy and not sexy pornography at all it just seems like almost uh, this uh, rough bdsm pornography with, that made me feel very uncomfortable but the pimp sort of like hey look at that yeah he almost points it out <laughs> look what i did so yunmo clearly depicts uh it's something that's very desolate uh, you know we're not in a busting sort of urban landscape or anything it's night work it's cold work but it's not overdone it's very casually captured so that's make you want to sit and watch and what these uh, nightly details are whether they mean something in in the long run or not and uh, because it, they obviously did this work has a lot of downtime as well so uh, and, and overall, it's not very dark and depressing. I was just observing, even though characters are carrying internal weight. So there is a drive to the drama because uh, our main character has a health issue now. So, and he doesn't make this street 
glamorous at all it's 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 that um, contrast between this is seems very rural the, the streets are cold but they try to paint these uh, windows as glamorous you know the way they sit and wait for customers it seems very glamorous and i think it's a way of life for prostitutes and customers in this little part of korea that uh, even though it doesn't feel sexy it's what we visit every now and again we just go in and hi well that's what i want and let's go inside so it's very um matter of fact almost uh but but, but never depressing so it, it's underplayed and you become curious and uh and by the end there is some like very non-verbal humanizing uh, going on here as uh you know the miss long legs in question gets uh greatly reduced by kicking off her plateau shoes shoes and boy are those high or tall those shoes <laughs> you realize when she puts them on again like holy crap She's now a tower. Yeah. <laughs> and did that silent uh, non-verbal back and forth uh, between the uh, the depressed girl, as you put it, is very sweet, even though it it's just a rare occurrence, maybe. A rare occurrence of playfulness and humanizing. Because it, it, it's very cute, because it's about uh, curing, curing the hiccups. And uh, both of them have great faces uh, for this, uh, you know, worn but warm faces. So a little bit of brightness in a frame that doesn't solve anything, because clearly the law that you just discussed, it wasn't going, uh, it wasn't going to be repealed. It, it, this was going to go on. But yeah. I, I, I do like this snapshot. It's very well captured. And uh, the 20 minute, 20 minute time we spent with uh, this uh, grimier, but still sort of bright and sometimes funny uh, story it uh, it worked for me the only question i have and this is not a spoiler the two guys who buy uh, tea or drinks from the lady with the cart mm-hmm. they also buy something else so uh, uh they they ask for some pills of sorts and what are they buying antibiotics yeah illegal antibiotics right yeah i, I mean if you look in general korea it, it... Medical expenses, you know, getting prescription stuff is hugely expensive. If you're rich, you've got great medical insurance and you've no problem. The poorer people just can't afford it. So there, a black market has, has essentially sprung up where people will be able to buy, you know, painkillers, antibiotics in in places that shouldn't be selling them. Um, and that's, that's just another little snapshot of, you know, a little bit of social commentary. So essentially, yeah, they're just trying to buy antibiotics. I quite liked it, um, even though I, I'm aware of more context now, but uh, he, it was skillfully um, depicted. Uh, so let me throw over to you uh, to uh, give us your notes on Miss Longlegs. Aside from the whole special law, and I, I did really appreciate it in terms of what it said on that level, but f- for me, the strength of this film is what Yun Mo's saying about sex workers in general. As soon as I saw Miss Longlegs, who does seemingly have long legs, you see her for what she's expected to be. She's she's a prostitute. She's long hair. She's got the glamour or long legs. She's got the glamorous hair. And as you get to know her, you realize that it's all a lie and, and she's completely different. She doesn't have the shiny, glamorous hair. Her wig falls off. She doesn't have the long legs because she's got these huge platforms and if you compare her to the very innocent young girl with the hiccups 
what I think at the end of the day he was saying was what you're seeing when you look at a prostitute is not real. What What's underneath is the same as this young girl here. And the hiccups thing just underlines the fact that the, these two are, are essentially identical. It's just their situations are very different. And I think that's a, a very strong message to put across. And I think he puts it across subtly and incredibly well. Yeah, it seems like veteran moves rather than um, moves by an inexperienced filmmaker. Very much so. And, you know, and, and considering this was his seemingly first and only film, I think that says a lot. And let's let's get him back. Let's get some more. No, for sure. Because it isn't uh, grimy and depressing and dark just for the sake of it. Like There is something there that's uh, relevant that, that you can and should put into movies. And it can still be valid drama, even if not pure escapism, obviously. Because it, it screams of reality, too. Let's move on to the next to last uh, short here. We got uh, another high profile one. It's called Awaiting from 2014, directed by Kang Jae Gyu. And the plot from, uh, if you don't know the name, I'm going to tell you who, who that is, but uh, I, I believe most Korean cinema fans would know that director. The plot from Paul's review at Hangul Celluloid of Awaiting. Yeon uh, Hee, played by Moon Che Won, is seemingly an ordinary young woman in her 20s who spends the majority of her days for and indeed excitedly awaiting what she believes is the imminent return of the love of her life, her husband Min Woo, from a trip to North Korea. That's what she's waiting for. However, though she daily cleans her house from top to bottom, visits the local market to buy as much food as she can, can carry, and cooks a sumptuous welcome home meal for her husband, Yeon Hee's memory isn't what it once was, to say the least. Far from being in the prime of her uh, life uh, with a husband who left on a brief journey just a few days ago, Yeon Hee is actually an uh, octogenarian who has been separated from Min Woo for more than 60 years uh, since Korea's division into North and South. On being told that the 86-year-old Min Woo has been found to still be alive, Yeon Hee is somewhat confused, but the news that she is to be taken on a bus journey to see him at the north-south border nonetheless fills her ever-aching heart with the hope that the day she has so long yearned for may finally have come, even though she's not entirely aware of how long she's waited. So this is not a supernatural like, poof, she's old, but symbolism. But uh, if that is any good or not, we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, 2014's Awaiting from director Kang Jae-gyu is uh, at hand here, the review. And if the name doesn't sound familiar, this is the director of Shiri, a movie that arguably uh, kick-started the Korean new wave of uh, movies. This was an action movie in this case, and proved that Korea could compete commercially and within action entertainment. Uh, he went on to Helm Taeguki, which is known as something else in English. It's a brotherhood. Brotherhood, yeah. And he also made My Way. Both were war films. Uh, so uh, for listeners who did not hear us talk of him during the Shiri episode, is, uh, is the war genre, action genre, the genre he has slotted himself into, and comfortably so? Uh, so is he therefore executing well within his chosen genre, or has Kang, in fact, explored more genres post-Shiri? He's explored more. He's got a thing 
about North and South Korea and the, the division. If you look at Sherry, it's North South Korea. If you look at Taguchi Brotherhood, it, it's the war. It's North South Korea. If you look at My Way, it's North South Korea. If you look at Awaiting, it, it's kind of talking about North South Korea. Um, within that, he also likes his kind of traditional melodramas. He he did in he started in 1994 with a film called Days of Roses. Followed it up with Rules of the Game, similar sort of thing. 2015, he made a very sweet melodramatic comedy, if you like, called Salute d'Amour. He balances between sort of natural melodrama, big action like Shiri, and he, he was producer of a film a couple of years ago, I think maybe 2015, called Bad Guys Always Die, which was a, a co-production with China, and it starts Son Ye Jin. And, and a huge film, it didn't do that well, but it's sort of in the, the action vein of, of Shiri and the like. So he's sort of split between action, North and South, serious stories, and kind of melodrama. He did a, an interview for BBC Asia a couple of years ago where he said he liked what he'd done, but he felt a little bit pigeonholed, and he was, he was going to try and look into doing a sci-fi film to talk about the problems faced by the world rather than Korea. So... He's looking, I think, to start expanding. Whether that ever comes about is another matter. I don't know. And there's certainly an early exposure of mine before Shiri. Well, uh, early exposure because it's early in his career, but it was a recent exposure for me. It was his, uh, his uh, sort of wild horror ghost romance type of thing, uh, Ginkgo Bed. I don't know if he did the following of following movies because I think there was at least another movie in that series, but uh, it, it certainly was... Uh, very professional, which uh, made me think that this is a guy who knows how to make movies have a beat and a pace and you can, you know, gear up to make the movies really like, whoa, what's happening? You know, to really make it quite an experience. And that movie, Ginkgo Bed, had that. And uh, I, I could understand when I watched that, that uh, the step to Shiri isn't an illogical step, even though it's an earlier movie. And and it sort of, it, it speaks of... of the talent that's going to come out. I mean, it, you mentioned there's others and there's a, another one in the series by a different director called the legend of Ginkgo. And if you can make it through half of it, you're a better man than me. Wow. <laughs> uh, when, when, when you compare the similar themes and what have you, you know, the Ginkgo bed, it has its flaws. It, it may be a bit labored, but there there's elements of talent there, which weren't on show in the, the other version. Yeah, it was uh, nicely wild, I thought, uh, using so different genre, many different genres and then placing the supernatural stuff in a modern modern day. And uh, so it was a nice and entertaining watch, uh, even though it, I didn't feel it was a classic or anything. Certainly didn't make me want to sort of like, give me more, make me, I want to explore this world more. No, I'm pretty much done. But at least one movie uh, followed, as you said. Uh, Awaiting the short here from 2014 was one of the shorts contained in the omnibus project of films called Beautiful 2014. It was commissioned by the Chinese online platform Yuko Tudo and the Hong Kong International Film Festival and also included shorts from Hong Kong filmmaker Hugh Kay, which is not the actress, but a male director, uh, responsible for Hoodoo Man and a queer story. It also included the movie Boss I Love You from the 
mainland Chinese director of uh, green tea in little red flowers called Shang Yuan, and Education for All by uh, Wong Kawai's frequent cinematographer and also filmmaker Christopher Doyle. Hence, the uh, whole project um, also came to Korean uh, screens uh, because it was uh, feature length, presumably, with uh, a couple of shorts in one. Do you remember if it ever made, uh, made it to DVD? Therefore, it must have, right? Not that I know of. Certainly not in Korea. We we saw a waiting, both of us, um, on the COVID streaming site. And as such, it's there and it's gone. And, and with films like a waiting, I, I ache to own them just so that it, on an evening I can just sit and think, well, I'm going to indulge myself in that again. And I couldn't find that compilation for love nor money. So um, I know it wasn't released in Korea. It, it was shown in Korea. It may have been available in Japan, but I wasn't able to find even things that said it was out of print. That's a gathering of talented directors. Um, that director, Shu Kei, um, who made Hoodoo Man and A Queer Story, very talented. Uh, I've seen Green Tea and Little Red Flowers by Shang Yuan. Those are good Good movies. Uh, I think uh, controversial to a degree in mainland China. I remember Little Red Flowers. I think it was about this very defiant young uh, school kid. So therefore, he was challenging set notions and things like that. That's a little bit controversial to do in China. I think it was ultimately shown. They didn't ban the film or anything. And uh, he made a, movie, made a movie called... I think it was East Palace, West Palace, or something like that, and that was controversial. It had gay themes as well, and uh, yeah, I don't think that played well in China. But I do remember following that director for a while. And Green Tea uh, stars uh, Vicky Xiao, I believe, from Shaolin Soccer, and uh, filmmaker um, and actor Jiang Wen, who's uh, made Let the Bullets Fly and acted in uh, a variety of uh, things, including his own movies. And he was in Rogue One, a Star Wars story as well, as uh, the uh, friend of uh, Donnie Jens. So uh, there's a lot of connections uh, back and forth uh, for you. So as for awaiting, um, you, you are surprised and delighted that uh, our director has come so far and is comfortable um, slowing things down, taking away the noise. Mm-hmm. of uh, Because uh, if I'm being honest... Uh, as much as I like Sherry, I don't think it's uh, has endured as such. It's not this time with commercial action cinema that just floors me. It's not bad, but it doesn't. So I'm glad so many years on, even though I haven't seen the other movies that follow, that sort of style over substance got better. It changed. If there's a drive here, uh, you know, a gear to this movie is the fact that he wants to make sure that the touch to bring to this drama is real and correct. And he focuses on that very well and uh, pretty much uh, nails this as uh, he delivers these uh, fragments to the story um, because we don't know initially what um, sickness this young woman has, that uh, why she at this age is losing her memory. Obviously, the plot revealed that, but the movie also reveals it before the end. Those fragments are very competent. We're comfortable with with them. He's not out to confuse us. There's no shaky style visually and thematically that's out to confuse us. And therefore he thinks that's the way to make art. No, it's very still. Uh, We see many stills in one scene of elements in her apartment. And as he depicts her days, that are very bound to structure and rigid schedule. 
and uh, possibly a rational an irrational devotion to an old house uh, we don't know yet why that is uh, but there's someone who is waiting you you would think that they would feel more secure in routines regardless if they had an illness or not so uh, you, you can sympathize with that but uh, you wonder and you're affected like why is this sickness in someone that uh, young but the uh, man is it quite beautiful how she is devoted to this structure and it's also beautiful that Kang is uh, devoted to this uh, story you you tilt your head as you look at the fragments he um, he presents before us uh, as her illness is giving this snapshots and uh, she she is d- directed as being aware and scared which is quite genuine and it's not done through overstated voiceover or anything because the voiceover is there but it's not overstating matters and therefore it's not coming off as an insecure drama whenever there is amped visuals it it plays into the fact that uh, she's confused rather than uh, let's have some amped visuals just because we can you know based on essentially only ginkgo ben and sherry while different genres I, I i can say i can safely say there's a confident director here maybe it's his first real breakout into drama that just nails matters i don't know but uh you, you you can give us that view if you like in your review notes if this represents the first true involvement of uh, or evolving nature of uh, director kang here but uh, he's uh, flipped his view on war in a way here even though it's not a war movie but we get someone uh, that's waiting for for someone that's stuck in the whole north and south conflict rather than depicting it full on we have someone literally waiting and uh, eventually it's easy to pick up on the mystery and the the beats and imagery they're not clouded by the director but rather that switch between i'm gonna keep this fairly vague but that that switch between young and adult is very very sharp he 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 does that through traditional means rather than special effects means and uh, speaking of adult and sharp uh, i don't know who she is moon che won but um she looks like again i've used this term i think before tonight but she looks like an underplaying veteran like you read about uh because it's not traditional melodramatic depiction or acting it's very internalized and confusing and rigid and a lot of burden within that she doesn't understand and in the moments where it comes out when she truly understands her world because again of her old age and the memory it becomes sort of perfectly heartbreaking and what i mean by that is that it's not it's not fifth gear melodrama or anything but rather it's really affecting and confidently made this was a director who believed in this story and wanted it to come off in a certain way and being as noisy as in his action movies wasn't the right way at all it needed to be quieter and uh, he feels right at home being this quiet so thumbs up full marks so let let me throw over to you Uh, let me just ask you that right off the bat is this was this the first true sign of oh my we got a new voice in the director i thought i knew there were certainly inklings in earlier films as i say he likes his melodrama and even a lot of his war movies, if you look at My Way and even, even Taguchi Brotherhood, there is genuine emotion, which sets it a, his stuff apart from your, your standard warfare, I guess. Awaiting takes it, in my mind, to an entirely different level. It's, it's so quiet, so beautifully quiet. 
I think he he knew what the story needed and he had the confidence by this stage to let it do what it does. Uh, I think it's it's a stunning piece of filmmaking and out of all the shorts we're talking about, I love them all. That's why I chose them. I think Awaiting is pretty close to, to my favourite because it is just so perfectly heartbreaking. It's a serious story that deals with North and South. It's a serious story about mental decline, mental illness, I guess, but it has a beauty and an affecting nature like any feature film you could ever possibly mention. It's very humanistic in its approach because as we see her as young, even though, yeah, the plot spoils this, that that's not her as young, as a matter of fact. Her environment really shows sympathy towards her and understanding of her, despite she's having this drive to uh, complete her daily schedule and uh, to have a very young actress depict that. Uh, because it looks very sweet and um, in a way it's tragic, but in a way she's in her element following the rigid schedules, even though she displays fear and is confused about her world as well. And uh, was she uh, new on the scene, Moon Che Won, at that point? Because she, she looks uh, experienced. She really does look experienced. She is... A progressing actress. She, in her career, she has only done four movies apart from four f- feature movies apart from Awaiting. The first one was in 2011. Um, Awaiting was 2014. So she'd done a couple, and she's done a couple since she she did a film this year called Feng Shui. So she's building, but she's nowhere near a big actress. And I think her performance really shows that she should be. Um, if you compare. And this is another thing, another of the many things I love about Kang Jae-gyu doing this film. If you look at the male character, Minwoo, played by a guy called Go-Soo, and he's the big star. He was in White Knight, which which I actually pointed you in the direction of. He was in War Movie Frontline. He was in The Royal Taylor, which was a huge hit. He was in The Last Princess a couple of years ago, which is uh, Her Jin Ho starring Son Ye Jin. Um, he was in Fortress last year. You know, he's he's the star. He's the the one that all the, the female cinema goers swoon after. And he's in it for a couple of minutes. And she gets the rest of the time. So I think that's beautiful. And, and and even of course the the elder actors is uh, doing a bang up job for for her sections totally. sections here because they they are as key as uh, as the younger one but uh, man she 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 looks like a breakout star in this one you know I also while it pops to mind I also love the fact if you look at you know your classic Korean melodramas for for years there were loads of films like a moment to remember which you know had young girl with terminal illness, young girl with dementia, young girl with, you know, some sort of mental incapacity. And I love the fact that he starts this off looking like it's going to be a standard young girl illness melodrama thing and then takes it to a completely different place. So gently that you almost don't see it coming, even though there are little inklings early on. Um, I think he handles it absolutely perfectly. Maybe this uh, was the best time for Kang to make a movie like this with so much experience rather than being thrown, you know, to do this right off the sheer or whatever. Maybe it wouldn't have had the same touch to the uh, to the drama. I think that's very much the case, actually. 
All right, and the last short and the shortest short. It's uh, mm. four minutes long, and then you're over and out. And it's one you can watch because it's on YouTube uh, in 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 official manner. I hope anyway. It didn't yep. seem like it was the director's own channel, but I think yeah, it, it's officially uh, correct and right that it's on YouTube. So, uh, and it's called Polaroid uh, from 2018, directed by Oh In Chun. And plot, uh, well, anyone can write this plot anyway, <laughs> because yeah. it's uh, very simple. A girl t- takes uh, scenic Polaroid snaps uh, at this uh, uh, waterfall with uh, rocks and uh, what have you. But uh, all of the photos show that it's taken f- uh, from behind her. She sees her own back in those photographs over and over. And what is that about? In four minutes, you're going to find out. From director Oh In Chun, who Paul has struck up a personal, or as personal as you can, uh, online relationship with. So do tell us a little bit uh, what there is to know about this director, who, by the way, reportedly shot this very simple story of an instant camera on another instant camera of sorts, uh, the iPhone 7. But yeah. he probably shot that uh, n- not with like support from KT or anything, but rather on his own. And uh, I come back to the same uh, issue here, uh, same question. Uh, uh, director here, is he working shorts only, or is he focusing on feature projects at all um, uh, within his creativity? Owen Chun is, is the most prolific film director I have ever known or even been aware of. He first got in touch with me quite a few years ago when he'd done just two shorts. He'd done a, his, a thing that he'd done while he was studying film called A Moment, which is a gorgeous short, and a, a vampire story called Metamorphosis. He loves his horror. Um, and those films were, him, those short films were him promoting himself, trying to get word out that he was doing what he was doing. And it worked like a charm. He was got to work with a, a company called Little Big Pictures, who who are a very, very small distribution company. And they've sort of worked through shorts and whatever else. And in 2014, Niners Entertainment, which is one of the big, bigger boys, he caught their eye because of those shorts. And he got given the option to make his first feature film, which he did, which was a, a horror film or a, a horror melodrama called Morning Grave, which... Again, viewers were polarized. You either loved it or you hated it. I adored it. Um, it, it stars Kim Soo-un, which who is a, a wonderful little actress, and she puts in a fabulous performance about a dead girl, essentially, who starts harassing a guy who, see, who sees dead people. Beautiful little story. After that, he got the chance to do another feature called Chasing, which is sort of action thriller comedy. And from then, he's gone back to his horror and has produced, let me just count here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine films since 2016. Summer shorts, like 12 Deep Red Nights, he did two two short films in two parts that come together to make a whole. He did Polaroid, which is his latest one, which was essentially him just promoting an idea, which I assume will be turned into something else later on. In his days, he's done Lucky Day about a mad scientist. He's done Nightscape, which is, again, a a, a horror movie about cars and what have you. And in 2018, he's also released two features, one called Dust Angel, which is about a North and South, North and South female agents who come to blows over the loss of a, a North Korean medal. And a film that, again, talks about North and South called the DMZ, um, which is based near 
the border between North and South. And he hits so often that he will be successful every now and again. I mean, Morning Grave did well. Chasing did well. When he released DMZ, he didn't expect it to have any more of a fanfare than anything else. But it was invited to festival after festival after festival. It's won award, fan awards, critic awards, left, right and centre. And it's become, apart from Morning Grave, possibly his most famous work. And it's based on the story of a policewoman chasing down a criminal near the DMZ and she accidentally steps on a mine. And for an hour and a half, she is on that mine. Oh, nice little micro setup. I always like those setups. It doesn't always work, mind you, but I, I have a weak thing personally for those uh, set in one location type of setup, and that can last 90 minutes. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I kind of agree. And when I saw her step on the mine, I thought, oh, hey, you know, immediately I thought, this is a budget thing. You want one position so you don't have to do very much. And I, I was scared that it wasn't going to hold together, but it holds together beautifully he does a phenomenal job and the the actress in question jumina holds the screen like you wouldn't believe there's not a boring moment in it it's funny it's witty um, and it shows what he can do when he hits right he keeps sending me stuff to get me to review it which is really really nice with a little note saying please please be as nice as you can you know he's a, he's a good geezer um <laughs> in in choosing which film we looked at, I specifically chose Polaroid, one, because it's his most recent, and two, because it's so damn short. You look at all the other things we do, yeah, 20, 30 minutes. The fact that he's he's going out of his way to get Polaroid taken to festivals, considering the fact that it's, what, four minutes, 29 seconds? Yep. That's brave. You know, that shows a confidence. So essentially I chose it because really you would have thought it should have been overlooked. And there's not a lot there. It is a concept rather than anything else. You described that very well because I, I, I caught the same sort of vibe that this is a demo, but that's not a slight or a slag off. Yeah. Because in this day and age, you can produce demos if you just want to demonstrate to yourself that you can put something together, which I think uh, could be true as well if you go out and shoot it on your phone and edit it on your phone. But... Uh, also, it's not a bad thing a few years into your career to add to your show reel, continue to add to your show reel. And uh, that's one of the positive takeaways from Polaroid. I mean, at four minutes, you got to work fast. Uh, I like that he sets it in purely sunny imagery. So you, you can't play with darkness and stylized light, lightning to provide the horrific ambience or anything. So... And he gets it going with the early horror twist that the photo she took is uh, off her back. Uh, what was that? And ho- hopefully it's gonna not going to be loud 5.1 boom tropey just because. But, but rather he lets ambience and spars, not bass lines, but like uh, bass, bass rumbles do the trick for ambience. And, uh, and, and that you can show people, I suppose, that you have the touch for a single sequence. Uh, this is not the promise of a two and a half hour movie here but rather I'm going to execute a little concept here and and it's cinematic enough he does tracking shots here so maybe if he didn't have the expensive night fishing equipment maybe he bought one of those stabilizers for your phone to in order to make the tracking shots uh, stable or whatever and, and the sunny bright sunny spot that he has here becomes eerie because it's also desolate 
it's also eerie because the snaps are right behind her. That gets to you because they're not distant from her. They're right behind her, like someone is behind her. So it's mapped out. It's thought out. It's not. It's not just random phone shenanigans. And and you and you do wonder what the supernatural rules are behind this one, uh, as the character does. And even though I think the ending is cheap as hell, <laughs> it made me laugh because I was sort of in a good mood. I was like, oh yeah, you earned that. I, I give in. I give in. That that was okay. It wasn't original the way it ended, and I'm smiling. I'm smiling because I. It's it's almost like I'm gonna do the not what's right and expected out of me, but what's totally wrong and what everyone wants gonna criticize me for. See how you like it. It's over. You only needed to spend four minutes with it. Fuck you. <laughs> it made me happy. I, honest, I honestly think he earned it as well, and you know, I I am. Happy to say that that I had a grin on my face after it as well. Because, you know, I mentioned a 5.1 boom kind of thing. It wasn't tropey at the end. It was tropey, but I let him get away with it because it was not like he plastered this across 90 minutes or anything. So it was okay. I'm impressed with it as a concept. And, and it's just, it's a giggle. And I think it was as much a giggle for him. And it works for what it is, um, whether it's tropey or not. But but is it technically well executed there? Because you, you, to to me it didn't feel like just uh, a, like a, a laugh during the afternoon. It felt like he planned this out. Yeah, totally. And you know, regardless of what of his work you look at, you know, it's structured. It's well created. There's always great plus points to his directing. There really is, whether it be features, shorts, or you know, a little four minute deal it should also be said that we actually spoke recently about a film called gonjiam haunted asylum which is a terrible title which was one of korea's first found footage horrors out of all of korean directors owen chun is one of the the few other directors who has done a found footage horror and considering how low his budget often is that's you know that's quite something to make an exciting horror um, it's called Wulha, Very Bad Moon Rising. It's available in places if you can find it. Um, it's it's sort of worth checking out just from a, a, a low budget point of view. Uh, so, so yes, and anything else you want to say about uh, Polaroid? It, it's also, um, it has no dialogue, so it takes that um, logical choice to not have the character. Like, what the hell was that? Why is the camera not? Acting like a normal camera, like, so he strips of he strips it of that as well, which I think is clever. What do you think? I I totally agree, and you know, plus points to him for getting that actress. Her name's Yoon Jung, and and she is a lot bigger in terms of acting credentials than you would possibly give her credit for, especially for being in a, a four minute film. So plus points to her for for saying yeah, yeah, get me, I'll do it. He's done him. He's done himself proud, you know. He's done himself all right. And I, I would be interested to check out um, his work because uh, producing a lot, being able to, whether shorts or features, in a variety of genres as well. I, I think such directors are of a lifeblood of uh, or life's blood of industries. Sometimes uh, the way you described him was not totally dissimilar from a Hong Kong director I quite liked, who, who's who, who doesn't do shorts as such and isn't really independent. But there's a director called Herman Yao, who's been working for decades, man, and making big movies, small movies, but making them all the effing time. And 
that means some of them are not going to be good. But when he hits it out of the park, it really hits it out of the park. And he even, regardless of there's an impact of one of his movies, he's already moved on to the next one. He's the director of uh, the likes of uh, The Untold Story and Ebola Syndrome, and recently his big commercial hit with Shockwave, the Andy Lau movie. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the same can be said of Owen John. You, I constantly get the feeling that he's he's standing up and going, "I'm here. Look, I've done more. Look at me. Come on, you know." And I think I think that deserves a lot of credit, really. So cool. And uh, as uh, we're done, so as for availability, so, so some of these uh, ended up on DVD, as we discussed. So we won't go through each and every one, but. You know, even in 2018, is there a guarantee the public will see Korean short films on YouTube or any local streaming services? Or, or it's only reserved, mostly anyway, for critics who receive screeners and go to festivals? I mean, in 2018, how does the word get out? Or is the model still the same? As it, uh, the, the, as it model, the model is still the same. You know, um, critics can get access through, you know, streaming through Kobe's or whatever. The big names their stuff may appear as extras on their other dvds it may not but for the majority of the time you're going to see these at festivals or you're not going to see them at all and i think that's a real shame there are yes there are certainly short film festivals that that push this but they're there because nobody else is pushing these and i think they really should be but with that said, the availability for Miss Longlegs and Awaiting was made possible by the Kobe's online screening service that is supported by the Korean Film Council. And uh, I would therefore, therefore, on behalf of Paul as well, express our gratitude uh, towards uh, getting a chance to uh, see these two in particular. And and also, uh, of course, uh, director Owen Chun for uh, for allowing whoever hosted that uh, short of his Polaroid to uh, for for us all to see it. So obviously, we'll link to Polaroid as well. And it's worth spending four minutes with 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 mo- most things uh, anyway, because you know you can watch it on the shitter and uh, you can <laughs> get this crap scared out of you that way. Uh, there you uh, go. So, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's all good fun for 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 uh, for four minutes and what have you. Anyway. Good. Uh, thank you, Paul, as always, for your perspective and your context. And uh, it was fun running through these various short movies. In the same episode, we talked of uh, a story of a piece of shit. So uh, that's a, yeah. uh, and that has a place in the Korean short movie scene. You know, so we went back to 20, 20, uh, uh, 2003 and all the way up to twenty eighteen. So there it is. I think we I think we had fun. Um, a very last thing, if any of you are interested in more about Owen Chun, again, I interviewed him before he did Morning Grave when he'd just done um, a, a couple of shorts, including Metamorphosis and a Moment. Um, interviews on my site, you know, he's a, a really interesting guy to listen to, so go and have a read. Speak English or just write in English? Because I saw you, you messaged him in English. Or... His English is incredible. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's a lot of times if you do digital interviews, you know, or, or send people questions in Korea, they'll send you the answers in Korea. And then you've got to, you know, spend far too long trying to get decent English translations with a director like Owen Chun. You send him the questions in English. He replies in English and it's perfect English. So it makes life so much easier. That's us, and we're done for this uh, What's Korean Cinema on 
a couple of short movies we might return to it but uh, for now for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com all the relevant links uh, that we uh, can share for for shorts and what have you they are available in uh, the show post and uh, the doggy poo dvd by the way you can still get that for a very reasonable price uh, i recently did uh, even though it was a used copy even the new copies didn't go for much at all so you can still get the american dvd complete with uh, quite a interesting making off of uh, doggy poo they go through uh, many of the uh, uh, stages of making that so they they documented it with pride and uh, so you can you can get that and uh, and uh, so so do get that and polaroid and uh, see uh, uh, have a short double bill <laughs> if you will yeah totally totally and uh, so all the links will be available in the show post so that's my plugs done but i'm gonna throw it over to paul as always honorary co-host and uh, guest so you get a full plug and uh, then we're out Thanks for listening, guys. Um, you're bored, you're interested in Korean films, Korean shorts, or you want to check out some stuff with directors, head over to Hangul Celluloid. Um, as I say, all the Facebook and Twitter links are on the main page. Follow if you wish. You'd be very, very welcome. Speak to you soon. Okay, well, and that's us out. So I've been Kennedy, and with me was Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid. So uh, you can take us out once more. <laughs> See you later, guys. <laughs>